Two Brothers, One Mike is a weekly podcast put together to help motivate and inspire our listeners both mentally and physically in the hopes of helping you be the best you. Hey everyone, welcome back to Two Brothers, One Mike. I'm Joe and as always my brother Coach Tony is here. Tony. Hey everybody, welcome back to T-Mom Land. How's everybody doing today? Joe, a couple things I noticed. What's that? Uh, I was listening because I often do this. I, I was, I, you know, just per, I, I think I've mentioned this before in shows just to hear what we're saying in previous shows and seeing what we can do to better ourselves uh, sure. in future shows and so on. Sure. And I was listening to the first episode and it's amazing how different we sound from the first episode in just just this segment right here. Uh, in the first one, it's almost like we're hiding and just like like peeking over, like should we say something? Because yeah. I, I, you asked me that same question in the first one. I'm like, hey, uh, everybody, how you? Doing? You can tell, you can tell the demeanor has changed greatly sure. here in episode uh, 14 now, I believe, um, yep, 14. is where we're at now. So that's the first thing. Second thing I want to ask you is, go ahead and guess what the opening segment is today. I'll give you a little guess. I'll wait. I'm gonna say it's it's gonna be I don't know probably something related to the what the the early 2000s. No, 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 no hell no. <laughs> 1980s, 1970s. Sometimes 1970s. We're gonna go ahead and we're going to again, folks. Again, you need to write these down. Keep them safe. You don't tell me you don't. You do not know for sure that you're not going to need these eight interesting facts mm-hmm. that are absolutely worthless. Some point at some point in your life, you can't tell me that. So. So we're going to reel off today in the opening segment before we get into some interesting stuff, the meat and potatoes of the show. We're going to reel off eight worthless facts about the 1980s that you may not have known. So pay attention. Here we go. Actually, Tony, I'm going to tell you, there's actually maybe nine. We'll see how this goes. I'll, 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 you've added to, you've added, you've added to the show. I might. It just, it depends on, it depends on what, how number eight goes. And, and, okay. Expand on that further in a, in a moment. All right. All, All right. right. But uh, so go ahead. What's, what, what do you have for well, number one? The first one, the first one, I, I don't know how much time we're going to spend on the first one, maybe a little bit of time, <laughs> but it completely baffled me when I found this, this mm-hmm. worthless knowledge. Everybody knows Yoda. Okay. I think he made his first appearance in Empire Strikes Back in the yep. early 1980s. Sure did. And uh, became uh, obviously a main, main character throughout the Star Wars series. Mm. And uh, here's an interesting fact in the original scripts that were written, I don't know what Lucas was thinking here. Okay. <laughs> His name was supposed to be Buffy. Now, I don't know. I don't. I, I stopped reading at that point because maybe you can add a little more to that. But once I saw that, I thought to myself, OK, time to move on. I have no idea where that came from. Yeah. So it, 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 it's it, it's ridiculous. You almost have to. All right. I'm done reading this. You, you want to fact check. But next question in the Google is, was Yoda actually named Buffy at one point? You know, because it just sounds so ridiculous. But yeah. There was actually a, a, a name change between Buffy and Yoda. Uh, it was Minch, uh, as in Minch Yoda. That was actually the name, Minch Yoda. And it was later shortened to just Yoda. Um, the reason being, I think, Minch, a lot of people were getting confused and thinking that meant like it was Jedi for Master or what uh-huh. have you. Later on, a character in the Star Wars comics who was also uh, one of Yoda's unknown species because we still don't know what he was. Right. His first name was Minch. So it actually was a first name. And so, Hmm. I don't know, I'm inclined to think that it really was Minch Yoda 
but you know, we never knew him as anything else, of course, but Yoda. And then yeah. as I was thinking about that, as I was reading, the only thing that the first scene that pops in my mind is that barber shop scene from coming to America. His mom will call him Yoda. I'm going to call him Yoda. And that's just it. Right. You know, yeah. because, and then I'm like, well, this isn't even relevant because we don't know what his mama called him, you know? Yeah. So, yeah. You know, and that was it. So, you know, okay. But the infamous barber shop scene and in, in, uh, coming to America. Right. So, uh, all right. So what, what, do you, what do you got next? Well, that, you know, the second the second worthless fact that we're going to we're going to talk about here is everybody knows the song. Well, everybody from our, our generation, our era knows the song My Adidas. They know the song Rockbox. They know about the group that basically re, revamped and re-energized Aerosmith with the song Walk This Way. Yeah. We know, you know, we know it's tricky. We know that group and what they're called. But do you know what they wanted to be called? The Devastating Two. They did not like the name given to them by Russell Simmons, famous uh, R&B and rap producer Russell Simmons. They wanted to be called The Devastating Two and not Run DMC. Can you possibly imagine them not being called Run DMC? That doesn't even make sense to me. Yeah, no, it doesn't. And no. Look, do you know what, what the DMC actually stood for? You know, I used to, and I can't remember now. That's probably because of age. Yeah. <laughs> and I, uh, it actually is, I think it's devastating microphone control. Okay, Google, DMC. Yeah, DMC, find out about this. Uh, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm almost, I think it was devastating. Folks, it would be easier if you guys just chimed in during, you know, we have the area where you could where you can click in with your comments and questions, but nobody's doing that. Yeah, you guys no. got to do that. <laughs> oh, wait. Okay, so we have DMC, uh, Devastating Mic Controller. I was right. Uh, it was also played on Daryl McDaniel's birth name as well, which ah. you know, obviously was the uh, Jam Master rapper. Jay. But, yep, that's him. Yeah. So, all right. But, yep, that's it, DMC. Our actually, yeah. Was that, wait, our, was Jam Master J, was that, was that him or was that, a, that, that was the other rapper? Jam Master J was the DJ. Was the D, was the DJ right? He exactly. who who actually was killed about eleven years ago, if I'm not mistaken. He was shot it, in the studio. It has been eleven years, hasn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. Yeah, Run, Run is actually a reverend now. Right, right. Uh, of course, the reality show. So yeah. So getting moving on, moving on because I know everybody is just fired up here for the third worthless fact. Everybody knows the line "I'll be back." Everybody knows the guy who says it. He says it in everything from The Terminator, where it originated, to in his movies Kindergarten Cop, where you wouldn't expect that line to come out, yeah. or Twins, where you wouldn't expect that line to come out. But nonetheless, it became such a, a trademark of his that he used it in every movie. But what you guys don't know is this. What he was supposed to say in The Terminator was, I'll, I will come back. I will come back. Mm -hmm. Then they got it short to I'll come back. He wanted to say, I'll be back. James Cameron said... He went actually Arnold wanted to say I will be back because he right. could not he could not say the contraction all. James Cameron said absolutely not. It has to be I'll be back. So Arnold had to practice yep. saying that over and over again before finally you hear it in the movie as is, I'll be back. And uh and, and so that's the interesting history behind I'll be back. Mm -hmm. And I have nothing else to add to that, do you? No, no, no. So let's I move think on. Just, yeah, it is what it is. It is what it is. <laughs> We're gonna move on. Folks, this one here baffled me because I remember it like it was yesterday. But you have to remember something here. This happened in approximately 1983 or 1984, okay? Remember the census, okay? The population of the United States was not 333 million people back then. It was about 235 million people somewhere, give or take, you know, a million. It was about 235 million people. 
on this night in the opening of the season, okay, you have to remember we had ABC, CBS, NBC, okay? 45. So shows that <laughs> for you younger ones, for you younger ones, you couldn't stream, you couldn't binge, you couldn't do any of that stuff. When the season was over, you watched one episode of whatever your favorite show was a week, and then you had to wait for the following week. And when the season was over, you had to wait the whole summer until the fall came when the, when the new season started. Yep. And in this particular show, J.R. Ewing was shot at the end of a season, and we had to wait the whole season to find out who shot J.R. Everybody remembers this. 83 million people tuned into that first episode of the opening season to find out who shot J.R. Think about that. 83 million people tuned in that night. And there's only 237 million people in America at that point. That's a lot of people wanting to find out who shot JR. That was huge. It, it still they is. They marketed that perfectly. I mean, it, that, that, that was huge. I wasn't going to say anything, but I'm like, you know what? This was in 1983. If you didn't see it by now, well, it's, well, not, yeah. a, it's not a spoiler alert. It was, no. his, it was his sister-in-law. Right. Anyways. Chris, Kristen, I think. Kristen shot him. Everybody thought it was Sue Ellen, but it was Kristen. It was her sister, yeah. actually. Yeah. I hope they're writing. I hope you guys are writing this down. So yeah. uh, <laughs> let's stay with around 1983. All right, let's stay with around as we get to next door. We get you know ready for our next absolutely worthless fact. In 1983, three million Cabbage Patch dolls were adopted. That's right, folks. They came with adoption papers for the kids. <sighs> the kids actually filled out adoption papers, and I can tell you this: half of them were custody battles that we witnessed, so to speak, mm-hmm. on TV. Or in person in shopping malls all over America. Do you remember the fist fighting for these dolls that were going on? Listen, it, it was it, ridiculous. This the 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 stores um, had sales on them. Uh, they were getting them in stock the day after Thanksgiving. People, th- this was the unofficial start to Black Friday. Yes, it was. Started with these Cabbage Patch dolls, and I remember witnessing at the age of nine grown adults fist fighting over baby dolls and at some point i don't know why i ever chose this but i'm like i need to be a public servant i should be a police officer i don't know how nine watching adults fist fight over cabbage patch dolls uh, you thought it was gonna be that easy you you would think that at some point i there were all these little clues don't do it (laughs) don't do it but you know i you know who listens to that yeah that was that was by far one of the most amazing things i've ever witnessed in my life over a doll but you know yeah it is what it is (laughs) in this country i guess uh moving forward as we get closer to the end of worthless facts the rubik's cube it's still popular today my 11 year old still tries to solve this thing everybody (laughs) knows it was a six-sided cube uh six different colors that you tried to match one color on each side. There couldn't be multiple colors on any one of the sides. One side had to be all red. One side had to be all white. One side had to be all blue and so on and so forth. Mm. Now, I remember getting as many as three sides, but it would take me about two weeks before I would actually get that. I knew nothing about patterns. This is an interesting fact. Mm-hmm. I think you remember there, there were people that were solving these things in less than a minute and, and there yep. was competition. I think the first one was in Bangladesh. Don't mm. ask me why I know that. So anyway, <laughs> You so know anyway, all these, so <laughs> yeah, 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 might as well. So anyway, here's the interesting fact: only a couple hundred patterns were ever solved in getting all the colors put on one side to have all six sides one color and mm-hmm. solve the puzzle. Do you know how many different patterns there were? Forty-three quintillion patterns to solve the Rubik's cube. Have you ever even said quintillion before? 
I didn't even know that was a number. I mean, right. I, I nope. <laughs> yeah, and, and so and that is insane when you think about that for a six-sided cube that you have that many different patterns to solve it. And again, there were only a couple hundred different patterns, from my understanding, that people ever solved. And then they used them on a regular to impress everybody with their ability to get this this cube solved. That, that, and again, still pretty popular today. What was the movie that Will Smith was in? He portrayed a gentleman who he could just solve it like he was he was so talented. He could just there. There was a you know what? I didn't see the movie and I can't remember the name of it. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Because so. uh, I'm looking at a thing here. Actually, Will Smith in real life, he he he's mastered it. He can just solve it like right now. Well, there you go, folks. The Fresh yeah. Prince of Bel Air doing it, doing it. I mean, uh, yep. definitely, uh, definitely not me. Hey, so more, more on him a little later on the show, by the way. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so that being said, let's let's talk a little bit about a ghost. Everybody mm. knows the infamous movie. I'm gonna I'm gonna burst a lot of people's bubbles right now. Everybody knows the infamous movie Three Men and a Baby, and everybody knows the scene. Uh, growing up, everybody flocked to the theaters to see the movie, but not until it came out on VHS did everybody start seeing this particular scene. There was a scene in the movie where one of the three men who were watching the baby, Ted Danson, and his mom are walking through the quote-unquote apartment. Mm-hmm. And as they're walking in the, you know, down, I think they walk over to the baby and they walk past the window and what seems to be a gun or a rifle is sitting in the window. Yeah. When they walk back with the baby past that same window, it seems as if the gun is gone. And now a little boy is standing in the window. And the story goes as this. In that same apartment, a little boy, nine years of age, took his life by accident, from what I understood, with a rifle, accidentally shooting himself and killing himself. And so as legend takes or as legend goes, first you see the rifle in the one scene. And in the very next scene, as they walk past the window again, you see the ghost of the little boy. However... We're going to burst your bubble here today. Well, here, let, let me let me just elaborate just real quick. Sure. And it's it's funny because I actually know the truth behind this whole thing. And uh-huh. I still get goosebumps because I remember sure. how freaked out I-, I was when I first saw this. Yeah. Listen, it, it, it's it's it, with what you're going to say, um, it, this will make more sense when you're done here. Uh, sure. it, it's all about angles. There's two totally different angles that you're looking at this thing. And so we'll go ahead and say what it, what, what, what it actually was. Today. Well, well, you know, and so and then Joe elaborate on what, what I'm about to say. It's actually, I'm sorry, folks, it's a cardboard cutout of Ted Danson. It is. If you can remember, if you can remember in the movie, Ted was kind of an ego uh, actor. Um, he was very proud of his acting, his commercial acting, I think it was. And and so he had posters and cardboard cutouts of himself all over the apartment. Yeah, the, the, his, the character he was playing was... The character was actually, he was playing, yeah. yes. And so that was actually on the set sitting there. And there's a reason why, and Joe's going to explain that, there's a reason why at one point it looks like a gun, and at the next point it looks like a little boy. And and there's a the way that that happened... Now, when Joe explains this, you have to understand, it still freaks you out when you see it. Yeah, because uh, it, it does still, look like it. It still does. And, 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 and go ahead, Joe, explain, explain what they're actually looking at in that. Sure. Again, it's all about angles. So at one, when you're looking at a flat piece of paper uh, from the side, it looks narrow, right? Well, mm-hmm. you, it wasn't exactly – you weren't looking at it directly on the side. It just cut out of him. Uh, you weren't looking at the side of it. You were looking at some odd angle. Uh, and of course it wasn't in focus. The actor, or at this point, the actress in front was in focus. So it's also fuzzy and very thin. And so yeah. it, 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 it does look like a shotgun or, or a rifle or what have you, but sure. 
when you understand how you know focus and angles work, it it just it kind of takes away from from what you know what what in your mind you might be thinking. Later, it's a slightly you think it's the same angle, uh, it's a little bit different, but it's more flat on to the picture, and so that cutout that was like canted a bit so that you were looking at it and it looked very narrow is now very flat on and you're seeing you clearly see a face where it's ted danson was actually in the cutout he has on a, t- um, a top hat yeah you know well, yeah. the, the the hat looks like the hair on the little boy and of course there's a face it's the front of ted danson uh and it looks like some little boy with a longer shaggy black hair and a white t-shirt um, when you actually see what the cutout looked like, though, you were, you're able to come to the same conclusion that this was just that cutout. There was no ghost. But, but ultimately, uh, Tony, there was something. Did you already mention? <laughs> well, it was it was it wasn't really an apartment where they shot it. It was on, on it was built on set. Yeah. So they really weren't in an actual apartment. So if this little boy, if they were in the apartment where this little boy accidentally shot and killed himself, it makes no sense because that set was built. And Tom Selleck is interviewed on The Tonight Show and he right. says it's not an apartment. It's a set where we actually built what looks like an apartment. Right. So it made no sense when. Right. But Tom Selleck did say hilariously uh, the way VHS sales are going. Sure. It's a ghost. Yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. and the crowd started laughing. But again, again. For all intents and purposes here, it, 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 it definitely was eerie when you actually see yeah. it. Yeah, oh, it yeah, certainly is. Sure. It certainly is. Sure. Even knowing, even knowing what we're what we're saying right now, yeah, uh, to watch it and just see, it's like, whoa, that is, yeah, it's really, yeah. Uh, for sure, spooky. <laughs> yeah, and so that takes us to our last one. We're, we're bear with us here as we get through the last one. Mm. Um, one of the top selling box office movies of all time, as a matter of fact, in 1980. Two, I believe, is when it came out. And it held that position, I think, until Titanic came out in 1998. And, and so E.T., all right, everybody flocked to the theaters to see E.T. Steven Spielberg. Steven Spielberg went to M&M's, okay? Uh, he went to Mars Candy, as a matter of fact. He was the M&M manufacturer and said that he wanted this alien to find uh, a liking for M&M's. And... M&M's, I guess, basically thought this movie is going to be a flop and we're not going to have an alien eating our candy. There's really no purpose here. <clears throat> Move on. So Steven Spielberg moved on and he went to Hershey's, who is the maker of Reese's Pieces and the rest is history. Reese's Pieces made a fortune on this alien saying yum and eating all those Reese's Pieces and all the commercials that came with it. Until this day, you associate Reese's Pieces with E.T. And so and it's a good thing, though, because M&M's, even though they made a mistake and they failed in the moment, they're still kind of more popular than Reese's Pieces. I'd have to say they've done they've done OK. They've done mm-hmm. well for themselves. Uh, kind of like just like what we talk about with that success, the ladder of success failing in order to succeed. I, I, it's it, you may think you may think that sounds corny, but folks, that's exactly what it is. It, it's making a mistake, but just, you know, learning from it and. And moving forward, and that's you know, Eminem's still. I, I'm gonna. I'm gonna guess has out has outsold Reese PCs uh, on a yearly basis. So, Absolutely. yeah. So, well, you know, in 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 talking about making mistakes and learning from them, um, Tony, I want you to do me a favor. And what we're gonna do is here, we're we're gonna address number nine right now. Okay. Um, when you're looking at your note, if you cover the word Reese, what word do you see? If I cover the word Reese, yeah, 
And the word preceding, or right after that, what, what is that word? Pieces. Is it p- p- pieces or pieces? Oh, ah, yeah. <laughs> How many people call these Reese pieces? They're Reese's pieces. Reese's oh. pieces. <laughs> are you Got in me. the third? Reese's pieces. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and I, I wish I could say that was mine. Um, I, I saw a stand-up comedian one time, and he did a whole thing on it, and it just I, it escapes me who he was. But yeah, Reese's pieces. Okay, hold on a second. <laughs> Yeah. I, Is I, that I, really what you're saying right now? Now that I look at it, that? you got me. You got uh, me. They were actually, actually, they were named after the originator of that was uh, just saw it here. Okay. Yeah. Harry Burnett Reese. So Reese himself said the correct pronunciation is actually Reese's. Oh, okay. Yeah. Pieces. So Reese's pieces. pieces. Reese's right. pieces. Well, and, okay. And lastly, uh, the Pursuit of Happiness. That was the Will Smith movie with the Rubik's Cube. Yes. There yeah, you go. The Pursuit of go. Happiness. But go. it's good to have this computer in front of us when we're doing these things. But Sure. All right. Well, anyways, this is a perfect time for us to take a quick break here from our sponsor. Before moving on with our show, we, we will start discussing, maybe we will start discussing the overtraining effect. Stay there. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. And uh, that was an interesting segment. That's for sure. Um, some worthless facts. Sometimes you have to have worthless facts uh, because you never know when you're going to need them. But nonetheless, getting on a, a more serious uh, uh, platform here now, we're going to talk about the overtraining effect, as, as Joe said. And it's extremely important that we understand this. You know, thus far in our journey, we, we've discussed the proper way. And I mean, from an exercise standpoint, as you know, we go with the three-headed monster. We have the exercise uh, effects. We have nutritional and we have the mental approach. And, you know, jumping back on the exercise bandwagon, uh, we've discussed so far in this show, we've discussed the proper ways to warm up and cool down, uh, as well as the beginning stages of working out, which we call foundational training. Foundational training, yep. And uh, remember, we are taking this one show at a time, which ironically is exactly what you should be doing when you exercise one day at a time. Mm-hmm. Too often, folks, we are on a mission once we catch that bug to take off hitting the ground running with reckless abandon Mm -hmm. in a search of the best body we can possibly accomplish in the smallest amount of time. Okay, so here's what happens. We watch infomercials, people on our screens rip to shreds many times before and after Uh, pictures of them being shown as they demonstrate their workouts or explain their journey. You know, you see, you see these, these people on, on the screen. Okay. You, you, you see them on, on social media all the time. There's, Mm -hmm. there's, um, we're not going to name people. All right. We're not going to name their products. We're not going to name them that that's not what this show's about, but you guys know who we're talking about because you see it all the time. There, there's one gentleman that just always stands out to me. I have no idea what this guy looks like with clothes on. Uh, <laughs> he he literally uh, the, the the shot goes to him. He pretends like he's just finishing a workout, and which is the weirdest looking jumping jack I've ever seen in my in my life. As he finishes it up, he's got baby oil all over him. He's very tanned. He's ripped up. Looks great. Looks great, and then he just starts going off on the on the on the uh, screen about his his product, and and how he looks and how he got there, and the problem is everybody thinks that's exactly how I'm going to look, right? Yeah. 
Yeah, and the, the shirtless trainer guy here that's selling his products, yeah, that's what I need because that's how I'm going to look in the next 30 minutes. Yeah, or whatever a little bit of, of time it took them to tell their story. Right. Yeah, you know, exactly. And it's like last week we were talking about some things with uh, social media, but uh, mm-hmm. one of the things that I wanted to hold on to because I knew we were going to be doing this uh, uh, show this week was this thing that happened with Will Smith. I mean, it was interesting. He's, he started this whole trend now. It's it's also funny that I waited a week because in that week he posted this post that says, I'm in, you know, I'm not going to lie. I'm in the worst shape of my life. I've and he's that. got like this real funny pose to himself and he's doing it on purpose. You know, we started this trend and all these people are doing it now. Yeah. I don't think they intend to work out. I think it's just they're, they're, you know, kind of poking fun. <laughs> exactly. And yeah. whatever. But when yeah. it initially came out, I mean, and I don't know, I, I guess I was just lucky. I, I saw it two minutes after he posted it or whoever posts the social media stuff. And um, I, I, I mean, it didn't take long for, for everybody to start jumping on and making their little comments. And as I'm looking, this one guy, kid, of course, this one kid, no shirt on, totally shredded, uh, hit me up if you, if you want me to train you. And, and, I, and I'm like, I, you know, it just, it was really concerned. It wasn't concerning. I just, I had to kind of laugh. I, I really, I had to troll the kid a little bit because yeah. it's like, he saw it as a perfect opportunity for him to take a picture of his, of his shirt off and get all these people to go, you know, ogle over him and, and, you know, give him all these calls. He's like, he was, he was uh, uh, looking for compliments, you know, uh-huh. and right. um, uh, instead of it being anything that was for real in the first place. And sure enough, there was a ton of people there. I just told him, I'm like, listen, and, you know, I think it was kind of funny how you hijacked his post, right? Right. And uh, you know, I you know, by the way, just wasn't about you, you know. Yeah, exactly. And uh I think the next morning I got up and Facebook told me I was I was bullying uh, but I don't know how bad because I had so many people that loved and laughed my, my post. Yeah. I, I don't know. Well, but you know, it, yeah. it's, it's that whole, he saw the opportunity, right. To put right. himself out there and have everybody look at him. It just, I don't know. It's It is. It's irritating when people do that. It, it, it is. And, and so, you know, we see, and here, here's what irritates me. Everybody who is really looking to, to get in better shape and really mm-hmm. wants to strive for that. You know, we see the, you know, we see these people and we think I'm going to look just like him or her. Mm-hmm. there's the first mistake. Our brain is geared up to look, uh, uh, you know, look like someone else rather than the best version of ourselves. So let me take it, take it, uh, an unfortunate step further. We also watch this person going from one exercise to another in a video shot over months and mm-hmm. months and months of training to music that has you all fired up flashing mm-hmm. from one scene to the next and bam, you are ready like no tomorrow to get moving. I mean, you're all fired up, right? Yep. You're ready also to look just like that person, and it should take you approximately 30 minutes to get there, just like the length of the video you just watched. Yep. And what what you guys need to realize are two things. One, you need to envision what you can look like, not them. They did not do that overnight, number two. That was a journey and continues to be a journey for them. You guys have to understand that. Yeah. And and that's a, another thing, too. You just brought up something. And, you know, I talked earlier about angles and uh, uh, things like that when it comes to video and, and uh, yes. even in photography. But there's even, even something else that's even more superficial about, uh, you know, these marketing schemes, if you will. Right. Mm-hmm. Lighting is everything. Uh, like I said, I do video and photography. So trust me. All I have to do is put a light to the side of a subject and it shows every cut, rip, and muscle like super exaggerated. So if you had a light directly to the left of you 
and it and and I took a picture. Uh, every every cut, every ripple, everything would would show yeah. that much more. Every place light meets shadow, right? Right. Um, that you already look super. You know, again, like a, a, a like a god of sorts, right? Right. That's before I even get your picture into Photoshop. Now I'm now the real fun really begins where I'm gonna trim and you know uh, uh, clone over little imperfections and make it right. You know, so the pictures are really far off from what these people look like. But I'm saying even before that, same thing applies to the video. It's very simple. If you look at the P90X marketing, Tony Horton is every bit of a shredded piece of stone. Okay. Yeah. He did not need this. That, that is that is the prime example of split lighting. Um, if you if you were questioning what it exactly looked like, you you know the front of the covers where you could see right. they're black and white, yep. and you could see every of course every ab. You got to be able to see every ab, uh, and you could see every shred of muscle in the man. So you know there's there's that that doesn't help matters either. Right. Exactly. And, you know. And, and and like you just said, it doesn't help matters because unfortunately. You know, folks, you could be sitting there going, what does this have to do with the overtraining effect? We're trying to show you this is one of several ways that we end up running into exhaustion leading to the overtraining effect because we push ourselves too hard trying to get there too fast to look like people that you don't need to try and look like. You need to try to look like the best you. Mm-hmm. You know, other other others include trying to come back from an injury to another. And what I mean by that is other ways you head into the unfortunate uh concept of the overtraining effect is coming back from uh, an injury too quickly and trying to get there too fast. Remember, we talked about foundational training first, Uh, stressing over needing uh, to meet physical requirements for work or competition. Uh, I can give you two examples there. One, anybody who is a firefighter and you have to take those physical aptitude tests, Mm -hmm. right? Or police officers. Uh, And those are just two examples. And you're trying to Uh, get into the weight room and trying to get yourself to where you need to be because you desperately want to make sure you pass either to become a fireman or a police officer or because there's bonuses involved with being physically in shape. And so you push yourself too fast, too quick, and and you go overboard with it. Uh, And when I talk about competition, just to give an example, someone who, you know, competes in CrossFit. Uh, sure. you know, the CrossFit games, whether it's amateur level or professional level, if you don't do it the right way, you can overtrain and you can cause a lot of different problems for yourself, you know, and finally trying to get your body prepared to look fantastic for upcoming events. Sure. Another thing that happens like what you asked me, well, I'll give you an example, a class reunion that's going to be coming up in six or seven months. Right. So you're going to, you're going to push yourself because there's no way you're walking in the door of that class reunion and not looking like you did the day you walked out of that class. Yeah. True. Right. And, and, and so, and so you have to understand all these things we're talking about are the ways that cause you to put yourself in a position where the overtraining effect takes place. Yeah. So when we come back, I will give you a brief definition of overtraining. So you understand a little bit more about what we're talking about here. And we're going to talk about a couple different aspects of this very serious concept and joe will briefly discuss in today's show summary at the end a condition which will play a huge part in next week's show and interview yeah and and listen to uh please know and and make sure to stick around for this Uh, we say over training i know most people are thinking well that's obvious uh it's not there's there's a lot more to it than what you might be thinking so Mm. with that we're gonna take another quick break and we'll be right back 
Welcome back, everybody. So, like we said, uh, we're, we're looking at different concepts uh, now when it comes to overtraining. First and foremost, let me give you a simple definition of what overtraining is according to the International Sports Sciences Association. And, and this, is, this is word for word now. It is a series of conditions, including neurological fatigue and soft tissue injuries, that result from an inappropriate balance of volume, intensity, and recovery in a training program. Okay. Okay. So, so, yeah. so we have a. I think we have a sense of what neuro, neurological means. Mm-hmm. Means you can use your tongue to form words. Neurological yeah. means <laughs> obviously it deals with our nervous system, right? But right. Uh, maybe give an example of what both might include: neuro, neurological fatigue and soft tissue issue. Like, what would be some examples of those? Sure. Sure. And maybe not in that order. So, so let's start with soft tissue injuries. Uh, when I talk about soft tissue injuries that can that can happen from the overtraining effect, we're talking about things like strains, sprains, bursitis, tendonitis, ligament damage, things of that nature, uh, and, and and you know um, even hairline fractures can happen from the overtraining effect. When you're talking about neurological fatigue, you know there's two great examples that we could point out here. We're going to get a little bit more into this part right here, but let me point out. Uh, two different uh, examples here. One is transient fatigue, which is brought on by multiple hours of being awake within within one or two days, not getting a whole lot of sleep in the short run. Okay, sure. and then the, the second one is cumulative fatigue, which is brought on by you know restricted sleep, uh, out being awake for hours, uh, um, for days and days, so a lot longer. Sure. Which always when when I think about those two concepts, I always think about the Marines and, and uh, the Navy SEALs. Sure. And what they have to go through in those six weeks of training uh, with the fact that they sleep for like one or two hours for I don't know how many days on end. Uh, that's amazing. So and that's just I just, you know, wanted to add that in there. Uh, folks, listen, your body needs to adapt to the stress of exercise in order to maintain what we call homeostasis. Now, this is this is simply a state of the body adapting to factors outside the body. To keep internal processes normal, right? You want me to give you an example? Yes. As I as I get as <laughs> yes, I get please. a little crazy with the science there. Yes, please. So let me give you. I'm going to give you the workout example since that's what we're talking about, right? Overtraining. Mm-hmm. Sure. When you work out, okay, you start to add stress to the body. That stress is the external factors. Okay. Mm-hmm. So when you're working out, you're adding external factors by adding stress to the body, by adding weight and intensity. So your body begins to heat up. Everybody knows what your core temperature is supposed to be in your body. Your body starts to exceed that core temperature. So what does it do to release some of that heat? You sweat. You sweat. Right. That's homeostasis. It is a balance, right? Your body is adding stress and then trying to release it so it can find balance. All right, so homeostasis is sort is basically balance, basically balance. Okay. Sure. All right, so uh, you know, real quick, I wanted to add something here, sure, because uh, we'd said in the past you were saying about sleep, and it just dawned on me not so much about what was going on with me as far as anxiety, but those with sleep apnea that yes. aren't taking care of that. That's another thing. Listen, there's people that are sleeping ten minutes at a time and yeah. waking up, and I mean, you know, so for for those of you that that are again. This directly speaks to those that are overweight, uh, and that's something that you might be going through, and not just you. Um, listen, I'm on a CPAP machine, okay? Um, I'm 195 pounds. There is nothing about me that, to look at me, you would believe that I need that. I do. 
for whatever reason, I just stop breathing. So I have to have a CPAP machine. Those of you that are having issues with your sleep, it is very important because like we said, this is something that could also uh, contribute to, you know, overdoing it, overtraining. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But anyways, all yeah. right. So I'm uh, sorry. I didn't mean to. No, no, no. That's all right. That's okay. Off there. And, we go. And, and, uh, let me give you one more example of homeostasis as, as, as well. Sure. Uh, and it's the exact opposite of sweating. So if you start to shiver. You're outside in a t-shirt and with a t-shirt on in 25 degree weather, your body has external stress factors, cold weather. And so internally, what do you start to do? You start to shiver and shake in order to generate heat in order to combat that and find balance. Right. So that that being said, you know, we talk about several aspects that overtraining can be labeled as, as well. So let's get into that. Mm -hmm. Uh, First, it could be labeled as generalized overtraining. So this process, you know, this means the process is affecting the entire body head to toe, being very general. You know, Mm -hmm. we're generally speaking head to toe here. So in today's scientific research, however, and a lot of different research that you look at, there is still plenty of research out there uh, in which they're trying to still discover when it comes to this concept, what it's all about. They're not, they really don't have a lot of information on this concept just yet. Um, and so there's not a whole lot to talk about from generalized. Well, we, we talk about two important topics when it comes to this type of overtraining, however, and this is something that they do have a lot of information on. And so when we're talking about the generalized overtraining, the two things we can point out is the parasympathetic and the sympathetic pathways of the central nervous system. So now we're getting into that neurological that we were talking about earlier. Right, right, right. Yeah. And, and, and I, I know I'm probably going to sound like that one guy in class who always raises his hand and pretty much irritates everyone who just wants to listen to the teacher. Yeah. What do you want, Joe? Yeah. The uh, uh, obviously, if you could expand a little bit more on parasympathetic and sympathetic, like just maybe to give an example of what they are, just so we have an idea uh, what happens when they're overtrained. Okay, so so let's get in that, and we're gonna we're gonna keep touching on this, and and uh, if I don't answer your question, let me know. Uh, yeah. Let me know because I'm sure everybody wants Joe to quit raising his hand. Yeah, uh, <laughs> and, and folks, we joke on the show a lot. So without getting too off base here, real quick, uh, an understanding of these two systems by simple definitions: mm-hmm. uh, the sympathetic nervous system simply has a job to prepare the body for fight or flight. Uh, in other words, preparing the body for, for stress-related activities. Let me give you an example of fight or flight, sure. okay? So we could talk about that because this comes with the sympathetic nervous system. Folks, fight or flight is your body's emergency system, right? Let me give you an example. Um, you're driving a car. The car in front of you slams your brakes on. Automatically, your breathing goes up. Your heart rate goes up. The blood, your blood pressure goes up. Blood automatically flows to the area of the muscles that need to, to flex and contract and extend. And it goes right to your foot in the lower portion of your leg where you're going to have to hurry up and pick up that foot off the gas and slam it on the brake. Right. So that's an example right there. Okay. Make sense? Yep. All right. Now, the parasympathetic nervous system allows the body to relax, so to speak. It's the laid back system, right? It returns right. the body back to the normal routine that you were already doing. So you're, you know, you're, you're, you're done now. That car moved forward. You didn't hit it. And now I just nice and easy go ahead and get back to the gas again and continue on with my, with my drive, right? So together, the two work to find that balance we talked about. What was the word? Homeostasis. Right. So, that, so that's the word we're looking at. Right. You know, so well, now, go Real ahead. quick, I just have a, a, a – sure. of course, I have something. Okay, so which part of the nervous system is where you lift up your right hand, <laughs> extend your 
probably middle finger. What is that? Is that the parasympathetic? The sympathetic? Uh, you know, you know, you're probably still angry. Your blood <laughs> pressure is probably still through the roof. Yeah. Uh, you're probably breathing heavily. I'm going to go sympathetic. I'm, Sympath- I'm still saying fight or flight. I'm going to yeah, say, yeah, because yeah. I'm not relaxed at that point. Okay. but <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay. Now that we said that. All right. Now the show's ready. PG 13. Yeah. Uh, sorry. Just kidding. Well, flip uh, the bird. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. yeah whatever. Ahead. Yeah. So, you know, let's talk about parasympathetic overtraining. Now, not easily detected. This is not easily detected. It can result in a loss of – it's a small loss of coordination, small mm-hmm. decreases in endurance, and, and maybe a little bit of loss of motivation. In other words, when you're in that particular stage of, of overtraining, mm-hmm. you, you, you question yourself there. Uh, I'm not really motivated today. Ah, uh, it, It's not really anything. I'm just not motivated today. Uh, you know, I had a long day. Right. I don't have a lot of endurance today. I, I'm just tired. Maybe I didn't get enough sleep. Work was kind of, you know, grueling today. I, I got a lot on my mind. You know right. what I mean? Right. You're, you're doing the workout and, you know, you're doing certain things that you've been doing, but you're losing balance a little bit. You just chalk it up to being tired. So, it, it, you know, when you're having that type of overtraining, it's not easily detected. Whereas sympathetic nervous system overtraining is easily detected, much easier detected. Hmm. So extreme depression, extreme fatigue. Uh, and I mean, in some cases, especially weight loss into the extreme. So yes, weight loss is beneficial if that's what you're looking to do. But if you're losing not that, you know, a half a pound to a pound a week, if you're losing five to six pounds, uh, and let me give it to you this way. Let's listen to me, folks. You're already somebody who has reached that maintenance level mm-hmm. uh, and you're still losing a ton of weight. That's, that's, you know, and you're not trying, you're trying to just maintain. That's cause for concern regardless. That, that's, yeah, that's cause for concern. Yeah. But if you're someone who's extremely overweight, extremely over obese, you're going to lose 10 to 12 pounds a week in the beginning. Uh, mm-hmm. If you're doing things the right way and that's going to happen for a little while. Uh, that's not, you know, to say that you're, you know, overtraining that, right. that, that is a normal reaction to the beginning of your training process for, for that type of person. You know, and, and one more thing is, is a decrease in your immune, your immune system functions. So fighting disease becomes a, a much grueling, much more grueling process, a more difficult process for your body to do. And, and so, you know, that's something that is also a great cause for, for concern there. In other words, we created disruption with our body's ability to effectively fight off disease. And we put ourselves in this state of, of well-being, or should I say, a lack thereof, hmm. and, and so we move from we move from generalized overtraining and those two concepts that we just talked about right. to to local overtraining. Now, this is a concept that talks about problems with specific muscle or muscle groups or a specific area, not just generalized head to toe, as we were talking about earlier. Um, uh, that, you know, the, the specific area that's affected due to overtraining, you can find stiffness and soreness that, that, that does not subside in the normal recovery period time in a specific muscle group or a specific area of your body. Okay. And, and so we're, we're not talking about the nervous system at this point anymore. Now we're talking about actual muscles and muscle groups. Right? Correct. Okay. So let me ask you, what would you say a normal recovery period might be? I know mm. it's all circumstantial, but like at what point can we safely say, eh, something isn't right here, but like maybe three to five days or... Well, you're, you're not far off there. You're not far off there. And, and, you know, when you say circumstantial, it is. You know, we always we always use that. Everybody's different, right? Uh, mm-hmm. It depends on, you know, a lot of it depends on where you're at in your workout. 
uh, in your workout program. Uh, if you're a beginner, it may take a little bit longer as opposed to a, an advanced, you know, CrossFit training champion. Sure. Uh, There's going to be a completely different, you know, recovery period. But um, not very intense workouts. All right. And, and that's 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 subject to, you know, we, everybody has a different what is not an intense workout. OK, right. not very intense workouts. As little as 24 hours or less. You should have a recovery period. And, you know, here's a good here's a good thing to add here. Uh, Instead of trying to figure out what an intense workout is, everybody's different. We just said that, folks, a great rule to add is the one to ten. rule. you know, a doctor always adds Mm -hmm. pain level. Tell me where you're at uh, when I touch right here. One meaning no pain at all. Ten meaning, oh, my God, don't do that again. Right. Right. Uh, you know, same thing with with level of difficulty in your workouts. One being uh, that really wasn't difficult at all. I'm barely even I could do another one of those workouts. And 10 being I went way overboard on this workout. Extremely difficult. Yeah. You should be able to judge your workouts in that way to know if it's not that intense that you should be able to recover within 24 hours. Mm-hmm. So more aggressive workouts, those that since we've already laid the scale out now, um, you know, those that land between a seven and a 10 on on your scale, Mm -hmm. it may take as long as three days, maybe a tad more, you know, my opinion, depending on the extreme nature of the workout, if you're not feeling yourself still feeling pain, which you really shouldn't be feeling pain, you should be feeling soreness, sore, right? Yeah. Big difference. Soreness. Yeah. Tightness, soreness, nausea, fatigue, loss of appetite, unable to sleep. There it is. Uh, after seven days, after a week, it's time to go get checked out sure. for sure. You know, what, what we truly need to understand is that overuse injuries such as fractures, strains, tendonitis, and the list goes on, can usually be related to too much volume of the workout coupled with a great deal of intensity way too fast for either beginners or those returning from injury as an example, okay? We have, we have mentioned that how many times now? Let alone the relationship between volume and intensity. Uh, this, is, this is exercise science 101. The relationship between volume and intensity is an inverse relationship, and we will do an entire show on that concept, trust me. Yeah. Is there something that we could maybe vaguely get into as far as inverse and um, volume? Like by volume, I think, is that the way I'm thinking? Uh, I know we had talked a little bit uh, off the show, of course, about what inverse is, but uh, maybe if you, you gave some explanation to that, but also what is meant by volume training? Right, right. Okay. So, so let me answer all that. Let me answer all that for you. Mm-hmm. If, if we're working out and, and do not have an understanding of that concept, that can lead to overtraining for sure. So, so I will basically conclude today's show. All right. With what you're asking me, touching on the consequences of volume training when you do not know how to apply it to your workouts. And again, this is going to this is going to be something that we're going to actually do an entire show about as well. So, uh, okay. so what I'm going to have you do here is get your calculator out. Obviously, we learned a few shows ago that when I asked you to get a pencil and paper out, we learned that you have graduated, you know, you've graduated in technology and you don't have a calculator. <laughs> yes. Those of you who follow the show know what I'm talking about. That was the glycemic load, glycemic index episode. Yeah. If you're not following this in order, you have no idea what I'm talking about. Get your butt back to episode one and start watching them or listening to them in order. Anyway, 
Um, so now you have your calculator. Let's figure out volume for everybody. Okay. Let's now, you remember we talked about this. We said a specific area, which means mm-hmm. upper body, lower body, a specific uh, muscle group, which, you know, can mean chest, back, uh, so on and so forth. Sure. Uh, a specific muscle, bicep. We're going to go with a specific muscle group. We're going to go with your chest muscles, okay? okay. Left and right pectoral muscles. Okay. So now to figure out volume that day, that's what you're going to work out. You're going to do uh, three different exercises. Okay. You're going to do dumbbell bench press. You're going to do dumbbell fly, and you're going to do dumbbell pullover. Okay. For the sake of ease here in this example, each one is going to do is going to be three sets of 10 reps each. Right. So just your dumbbell bench press at at three sets, 10 reps each, how many reps is that all together? That's 30. So there's your volume for that one set. Mm-hmm. But you have two other exercises you're doing for the same amount of reps. So you have to add, you have to multiply 30 times what? Three. Three. And your total volume for chest that day is? Did not need a calculator. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> just just exactly. want to put that out there. <laughs> right, right. Go you want to make sure people didn't think you were that, yeah, yeah, that, no, that far no. off. Okay, okay go ahead. <laughs> so 90 is your volume. Now, let's talk about intensity. If you're talking about intensity, you're talking about how heavy the weight is going to be. You're talking about how little rest you're going to have in between sets. Mm-hmm. Okay. Or you are talking about what we call time under tension. Now here's why I don't want to get so far into that because that's right. like, it's a completely different show. It, it is. It is. So, so in time under tension, it's a simple uh, concept of taking your time, lowering the weight and then putting the weight back to where you started at. And instead of going up, down on a squat, you take five seconds to to uh, descend and then five seconds to ascend. Yep. And that, that's where we're going to leave it, okay? And yep. that's more intensity. For, 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 for my layman folks, it's five seconds down, five seconds up. <laughs> right. <laughs> but I, go ahead. I, I, thank you very much. Sure. So <laughs> that being said, that being said, so when volume is increasing, let's say you want to increase your volume from 90 reps to 180. You're right. doubling the volume. Okay. Let's say your intensity was so you were barely getting 10 reps. You were using 40-pound dumbbells and in the dumbbell bench press, and you were barely getting 10 reps. You were barely getting it. Right. If you're going to double the volume, you're going to have to decrease the intensity substantially. Uh, so you're going to have to go to maybe five or six reps and make sure that you can get them properly because you've now increased your volume. You have to inversely decrease so your intensity. So this is the inverse, right? So if one right. goes up, the, the other one has to right. go down. If you're uh, going to decrease your volume from 90 reps to 45 reps, you may say now, well, if my rep count is going to go down that I far. I can increase my weight. Maybe I can go up to the 50-pound dumbbells. There it is. Okay. So you all, you never do both together. When you try to increase your volume and your intensity together, you're asking for the overtraining effect. Make sense? Makes perfect sense. And that's where I'm going to leave that concept today because we're going to do an entirely different show in detail about that concept in the very near future. Yeah, especially when we start to get into things like time under tension right. uh, and how that plays a part. That that's it's uh, great stuff too. Yeah, folks. it really oh, is. Yeah, I think yeah. it's probably been the, the it's been the key workout that I've been doing now since the beginning of this year. It was funny. We're talking about how some people will start to overtrain when they have an event coming up. Well, for me, my season, right, like 
every sport has a season. My season is uh, three weeks in the summer when we go to Daytona Beach. And, you know, I just, again, I want to feel confident. Right. I like to feel comfortable in my own skin. Right. So uh, that January 1 that we talk about, right, uh, you know, New Year, New Me, yeah. like I said, not really. It's just it's time to get back and get things on the ball after the holidays for me. Absolutely. Um, but that being said, yeah, that's that's like my thing. And it's nice because I have six to seven months to gradually get myself back to where I was. Plenty of time. Right, you know, to undo what I've done to myself the month. But get, but prior. keep this in mind: you have been on a nutritional and exercise journey for quite some time. Right, so six or seven months for Joe may not be six or seven months for somebody who is venturing into this lifestyle for the very first time. Right, right. Like I said before, my one hundred percent is not you know someone else's. You can't really compare the two. We all right. have different circumstances. So right. Okay, so with that all said, I think we're going to do a quick summary on today's show. Uh, Let's see. So in our first segment, we talked about how we find ourselves trying to meet the physical goals of others based purely on their looks while while – you always Based, have a rough time with this summary thing. Go ahead. Well, you know what I think it is, is because you've done so much talking. My my lips, my mouth is not moving. It's not working. <laughs> like the Tin Man in uh, Wizard yeah, of Oz. Yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> Oil can what? Uh, mm. Let's see. <laughs> yeah. In our first segment, we talked about how we find ourselves trying to meet the physical goals of others based purely on their looks while never truly considering the road they had to travel to achieve the look we hope to replicate. In our first segment, we talked about how we find ourselves trying to meet the physical goals of others based purely on their looks while never truly considering the road they had to travel to achieve the very look we hope to replicate, since we were only offered a quick summary of their story. In turn, we tend to believe it will be just as quick for us. If we just do what he or she did, just jump right in with both feet in the mindset of the more I do now, the quicker I'll get the same results. Of course, with the reality hits proving this isn't a correct approach, quitting becomes more and more acceptable since we've set ourselves up for failure to begin with. Whether it be for a poor fitness foundation or an injury due to overtraining, either or both will have you sitting on the sidelines, unable to exercise and essentially setting you further back than where you were and where you started from. In segment two, we went into overtraining, which is defined as the result of an inappropriate balance of volume, intensity, and recovery time in a training program. We discussed two types of overtraining, generalized, which includes both the sympathetic nervous system, this is the one that prepares us for fight or flight, and the parasympathetic nervous system. This one helps our bodies to relax. When overtraining happens at this level, symptoms may include loss of coordination, loss of motivation, depression, fatigue, extreme weight loss, as well as a decrease in our immune system. The second type of overtraining is localized overtraining. With this, a specific muscle or muscle group or even a specific area is affected due to overtraining. If you find stiffness and soreness that does not subside in the normal recovery period of about a week, coupled with nausea, fatigue, and or loss of appetite, it's time to seek help from a medical professional. Last, it's important to remain mindful that stress injuries can also occur from overtraining. These include but are not limited to injuries such as strains, sprains, and fractures. So take your time when first starting a new exercise routine or if you're coming back after an injury. And that's today's show in a nutshell. So let's talk about next week. Next week, we will include an interview with former Youngstown native Kim Regetti-Svabic, who has a story we all can learn something from when it comes to overtraining. Mrs. Fabeck suffered from rhabdomyolysis, a.k.a. rhabdo, a debilitating disease that actually comes from over-excessive physical training and is certainly nothing you'd want to encounter. Folks, listen to me real quick. 
you need to tune in to next week's show because it is compelling. And it is definitely uh, the interview that you're going to hear from this young lady is absolutely it's an amazing story it's a scary story of what almost happened mm-hmm. to her she almost lost her life and i want you to hear what she has to say on where she was at how she got there and what she does now to make sure that she does not enter into that type of situation again and it was all due to the overtraining effect so please listen in to the show next week absolutely yeah. Uh, and, and real quick, just to even further elaborate, um, you know, this this show is it's for everyone. Uh, but for those of you who think this seven days a week, three hours a day training is is really something, you know, it's, it's just going to be so beneficial because, again, the more you do, um, she's going to explain to you why that's probably not so. So until then, I want to remind all of you, be sure to give us a review on your favorite podcast service also. If you have any questions, comments, thoughts, or opinions, you can leave us a voice message via the link in this episode's description. And finally, remember to join us each week as we release new episodes every Wednesday morning at 9 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. Now, on behalf of Coach Tony and myself, thanks for listening. Be the best you out there, everybody. Enjoy your week. We'll get some Reese's Pieces. Yeah. (laughs) I am am hungry for Reese's Pieces now. (laughs) 